Hi again, everyone. This is Pete with This is Ohio 2020. There's just about a week to go before the election when this comes out, a week and a day. And so if you have already voted, great. And if you haven't already voted, please make a plan to do that. Whether you vote early or you vote on election day or you're voting absentee, just however you want to vote, the important thing is that you participate. And so just encouraging you all, make sure you've got a plan and head out and vote. Hi there and welcome. This podcast chronicles my travels around the state of Ohio in the year leading up to the 2020 presidential election, interviewing my fellow Buckeye voters, hearing their stories, their hopes and their fears, their worries and concerns, and learning how those things influence how they're thinking politically as we head into another presidential election. My name is Pete Brown, and this is Ohio 2020. Today I'm releasing my talk with Ryan Kulik of Loveland, Ohio. And this is an interesting interview because Ryan, an Ohio voter, we talked to him from that perspective, but professionally he's a political consultant. And so he had some really fascinating things to share with us. I would say too, there's probably some bias in my interviewing in this particular episode because Ryan and I are about the same age. We tend to think the same things politically. We're on sort of the same side. So there's a lot of, he'd say something and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it upsets me when I do that, but but it's a very natural thing too. So I think the best I can do for this episode is to let you know it's in there. I'm aware it's in there. And, and hopefully when you can pick up on it, that'll help you understand what's happening in context a little better. If you listen to our intro episode, you know I was a political science minor in college, and I did not anticipate uh, having an interview like this where, you know, I got to kind of geek out on political science stuff like the toil index and bike shedding and all these things we talked about in college that I haven't gotten to talk about in a long time. So that was fun, too. Actually, when I talked to Ryan last fall, we recorded 90 minutes with him. And then last week, I touched base with him over Zoom just to get an update. And that was another 30 minutes. But I'm not not giving you a two-hour podcast. I've managed to cut it down to about an hour. And I just think it's a fascinating look at Ohio politics, both from a voter's perspective, but also from a political consultant perspective, who works, by the way, with both parties. He, he does not work exclusively with one party or the other or one cause or this or that. He's equal opportunity consultant, as far as I understand. So enjoy this talk with Ryan Kulik. So we start out learning your story, right? Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell me where you grew up and what that was like? Well, I'm one of you, I know you're looking around all of Ohio. I'm actually not a native of Ohio, okay. which I have found interesting yeah. in my in my life and my job. I I was originally I was born in Minnesota, St. Paul, Minnesota, but I moved when I was really really little. Moved to St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. So that's where I grew up. I went to grade school, high school. I went to college in the state of Missouri, even though I grew up in St. Louis. I, I still tell people Missouri, but I'll tell you most people from St. Louis will say they're not from Missouri. It's right. like two different countries, sure. basically. Sure. It, it, we see in a lot of st- uh, a lot of different states. But I was dating a girl at a time out of college, thinking about if I'm ever going to get serious. And she said, "I'm coming to. I'm going to take a job in Cincinnati, Ohio." And I'm like, "Well, it'd be a cold day in hell before I ever move to Cincinnati, Ohio." Yeah. And 2004, I was working 
doing some campaigning for the Democrats and Missouri voted to ban gay marriage. Mm -hmm. So I got, they said, okay, we're done with Missouri. We're not going to win Missouri. So I started to work in Ohio, contacted this old girlfriend of mine, and we realized, hey, maybe we can make this work. So I guess hell froze over and I ended up in Cincinnati in 2006. So you came here as a Democratic political consultant to the reddest part of the state. Yes. Okay. (laughs) And that's been an issue. (laughs) Yes. Well, let's talk... uh, Sisters, brothers? Yeah, I'm one of four brothers. I have an older brother and then two younger ones. And the older one and I were just two years apart, but then it's a little bit more of a gap, about a four-year gap between okay. me and then the next one. You're solidly Gen X. Yes. Right, so what? just a little bit, what, what was it like growing up in St. Louis? I, was, I mean, it was interesting because my father worked for McDonnell Douglas, so a defense okay. contractor. And my mother was stay-at-home mom most of the time until I got a little bit older and she started to, she was a... Uh, ran a shelter for battered women and children. Okay. So, you know, obviously politics and society and everything like that was a big, big deal in our house. Yeah. Generation X is known as the whole latchkey generation, mm-hmm. kind of, we're so disassociated because we're on our own. And I, I always argue that the big, you know, everybody has their big cultural moments. Right. You know? So my parents, they had things like the Kennedy and the Martin Luther King assassination. Right. They also had the moon landing. Right. Well, for Generation X, we had, you know, E.T.'s the biggest movie, but E.T. Mm-hmm. goes home at the end. He mm-hmm. doesn't, I mean, Elliot's stuck there. Yeah. So we get used to this disassociation, and then you have the Challenger explosion. Yeah, sure. Which probably, I mean, yeah, you had Tiananmen Square and these other things, but by that time you're getting older, yeah. even Oklahoma City. But those things, and in St. Louis, because of the big defense industry and everything right. like that, I was always hyper aware of how the government can affect your house and you know another little thing is i spent i worked my very first political campaign i was paid for my first campaign in 1992. yeah do the math i was 17 years old i couldn't vote but i was handed a check for 200 dollars, so i figured that meant i'm a uh, professional is that like a local campaign yeah it was actually a congressional campaign uh somebody running for the u.s congress he's a republican and i've you know Family Ties. That was mm-hmm. a show I watched. I wanted to be Alex Keaton. So sure. even though my dad was a defense contractor, my mom had this very socially aware job yeah. that they, I, I had to rebel. You right. know, they were Democrats. And my joke is my dad's the only man outside of Minnesota to vote for Walter Mondale I guess. in 1984. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, That's probably true. Yeah, right. So, he really got spanked. So, we, so growing up like that, I, I wanted to rebel against my parents, and I yeah. believed, you know, Republicans, are, I mean, it's all about fairness. And yeah. It's all about what's right, and, I mean, things change. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you this, because I know Challenger Explosion is a, a light bulb memory moment. Right. Where were you when you heard about it? I bet you remember it pretty well. I remember it extremely well, because I probably have one of the most unique stories around. Everybody said they basically watched it in class. And I would have been in the fifth grade at the time. I did not watch it in class. I did not know what happened till later because when I was on that day, I had been having some medical issues. And I had some weird spots on my legs. And my mom, of course, is beside herself. And they, I got put into the hospital that night, that day. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I heard one of the nurses talking about it. That's how I learned. Yeah. And so at the time, I was so fearful. I mean, I'm a kid. Right. I'm being put in the hospital. And I was in and out of the hospital for six months with this illness. And... It was, I, I remember though, it was maybe, I don't know, it almost sounds romantic to say it, but I felt guilty that I was so afraid for my own health when these mm. people had just, I mean, a teacher, yeah. a, a normal citizen. 
you know, that day I, I woke up and thought to myself, one day I'm going to travel on the space shuttle because normal people can, and now they're yeah. all dead. Yeah. And it's always, it's always been something that kind of haunted with me, the guilt that yeah. I felt. When you were in high school, were you in student government or stuff like that? Yes, I was. Yeah, I ran for city council president and lost, and mm-hmm. then I ran for representative, and I did all that stuff. And I really, I, I also have a background in theater, mm-hmm. so I really kind of liked the theatrics of it. And when you're in high school, I mean, I was five foot six, so yeah. I was average height. I'm now many many years later still five foot six mm-hmm. i'm not average height but i i liked being on stage and i like people noticing things and i liked talking about making change you know yeah. doing change in the high school it's like we're gonna put a soda machine in the hallway but i enjoyed you know what it is is i've learned later on in life i enjoyed taking what the establishment is and challenging it mm-hmm. and regardless of what level it was right Okay. Where'd you go to college? I went to a really small school in the middle of Missouri called Westminster College. Okay. It's just, it's known worldwide for Winston Churchill gave the Iron Curtain speech there. Oh. But it's a super, super tiny school. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, you know, you go there because it's next to the Missouri Capitol yeah. and you just get involved in politics. Yeah. Did you study political science? Yeah. Yes. That and theater. So you worked on your first campaign at 17. Mm-hmm. What did you do? I, so... I sat outside on an extremely cold, dreary day, the day of the campaign. Now, up to that, we would do volunteering, like knocking on doors, yeah. saying vote for this. But the, what I got paid for on that day was to stand outside the voting booth and to hand out the ticket. Yeah. And I vote for such and such for U.S. Congress. Yeah. And the, like, it's, it, it goes this kind of what you would call, I guess, strange political awakening. Because, again, I, I felt like... I was more of a Republican because Republicans right. was fair. Sure. You know, we, we shouldn't give all these people money because they didn't earn it or all this other yeah. stuff. And I remember at the time, I'm sitting there, and it was like a break time. And this woman that I was working with, an older woman, was saying that, she goes, you know, don't get discouraged, but I don't think the George Bush is going to win the presidency. Mm-hmm. She goes, I think the Democrats are going to win. And I'm like, I don't really care. Sure. I'm like, okay. And then she has this baby with her, and she looked at the baby, and she said, I guess some people just don't think you have the right to be born. And it shocked me a little bit, because, again, I'm 17 years old, but I'm thinking, I go back to the parents, I go, I don't think that's what they really mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, in the end, I had this, (laughs) I don't want to call it an awakening, but I really sat back and thought to myself, are these the people I want to throw in with? Yeah. And you start to research. Yeah. Mm So what did you do coming out of college then? So my first big job out of college is I worked for an event company, but basically like a carnival company. They had had inflatables, and Mm -hmm. they would do magicians, and we would uh, clowns, you know, hire clowns for little parties, things like that. I I worked for our human resource manager in that I would schedule interviews for her, and then my other job would be to hire the performers, the clowns, the hypnotists, things like that. She ended up leaving. I ended up taking her position. We ended up getting bought by a bigger company. And while we were doing that, I, because they knew of my relation to politics, whenever we would, let's say somebody was trying to, oh, we want to put a, we want, for every inflatable ride, there's going to be a $25 permit fee. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't want to do that, so they'd send me to Jefferson City, Missouri, you. and I'd lobby on behalf. Well, in turn, the guy who originally owned the company, he got me involved a couple of years later because he knew I didn't want to work there anymore, 
with a, a Missouri, it was called Missourians Against Handgun Violence. Mm-hmm. It was a gun violence prevention group and wanted me to basically be their advocate. Yeah. So I moved from, the joke was I moved from one group of clowns, being real clowns, yeah. to politicians, yeah. another group of clowns. So, that's pretty good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just had to ask you, this will be oddly specific, but yeah. what are the top three things you look for in hiring a clown? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, <laughs> here, here's my old Republican credentials. Okay. I think for a brief time in Missouri, I was known as the man that broke the clown union because uh-huh. my my first thing is price. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> so, and the it was so we would you know for any I don't think these are trade secrets anymore. So, but we would pay him like fifty bucks an hour or yeah. whatever. And so you say three things. It's funny you say that. There are three specific things we want: face painting. Uh, balloon animals and pocket magic. Nice. So if you could do all those, you could get that higher rate. Well, a couple of the clowns I could wanted sixty dollars an hour, and so I went and I found some people in my old theater group yeah. who would do it for forty-five dollars yeah. an hour. And yeah, you. big union busting back then. But yeah, <laughs> juggling's not a big. <laughs> no, no, you could get more money for that though. Yeah. It's, I always tell people it's amazing uh, what you learn about. So obviously, for birthday parties, yeah. a lot of clowns, they're going to make a hundred dollars or so a party if you're a hypnotist you're going to make two thousand dollars a party mm-hmm. so if you if you've got that magic of hypnotism that's you're right doing well right okay so so you start working for a gun control group mm-hmm. in missouri yeah which i'm just guessing here is not a popular message to be carrying in missouri no and so this is this is how i always framed my mind this is why i was in college too was i in 1996, I voted for the Libertarian because mm-hmm. if you're a, a young white man, Libertarians make sense. Yeah. I never try to insult people with that, but there yeah. is this sense of no responsibility that you have. And you know what? White men have ruled the world for 6,000 years, and yeah. look where it got us. Yeah, yeah. So as time has gone on, I've kind of thought to myself, maybe you should have more responsibility. So in 2000, I vote for Ralph Nader. Mm-hmm. So it's this very kind of, I always looked at things as it's not going to affect me personally. Right. So when I went with the gun group, and I think this is a reason why the board liked me at the beginning, I have, I've never owned a gun. I've never cared to own a gun. I grew up in an area where I never hunted. I yeah. never did any of that stuff. I was very dispassionate about that issue. On the other side of it, I've never had a, a loved one get killed by right. firearm violence. So I would go to these board meetings and stuff like that, and everybody that's in these meetings, they, they have a story. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times, and this is the worst part of it, a lot of times it's their kid that got killed. Yeah. And they're very passionate and they want something done now. Yeah. Since I had a very dispassionate view, I treated it like a strategy game. Yeah. And said, okay, guys, you know what? We are not repealing the Second Amendment today. But, and this is one of the issues I looked at in 2004, there's something called the assault weapons ban. Right. It was signed into law. And when George W. Yeah, yes. George W. Bush, when he was running for president in 2000 in a debate, he said, I will expand it. I'll extend it. Not expand it. Extend it. So I was telling the Kerry people that I worked with in Missouri, guys, we can get them on this. This is a gun issue. Let's focus on this issue. And unfortunately... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. you know, it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. But I kind of got a little bit of a name of myself from some of the other gun groups sure. that I had this very strategic view at looking at things. And so I also worked in Wisconsin in 2005 for an organization, the Wisconsin Anti-Violence Effort. Yeah. And, I mean, I did all sorts of things for them, but mainly it was concealed weapons. Mm-hmm. You know, So in the end, you get this guy who... It's not run by emotion, a guy who understands a person who understands the governmental structure right. and PR, 
and take these, and this is what I tell people in my other job, I will take a controversial issue, bring in new partners, and make it palatable, pal- yeah. palatable to, sure. to the public. And in turn, I've worked on that, and I've also worked on things like embryonic stem cell research mm-hmm. and very controversial issues. But in Missouri, I was never hated. Yeah. You know, I'd be the anti-gunner, but in the end, our organization has, it's almost like it gets mainstream. Sure. And that's where you need it. It even sounds like the name of the organization is anti-violence. Yes. And you start to abstract it away yeah. from. So I'm going to ask a question, which you're going to be like, there's no way to simplify this. <laughs> no, that's fine. You can ex- tell I like the explain it. Explain <laughs> it to me like I'm five. Yeah. I, I see poll after poll showing the majority of Americans, both parties, support gun control and mm-hmm. gun legislation. And it never happens, right? Mm-hmm. So. What causes that disconnect? I've, that's that's a great question because, yeah, I talked about growing up with the Challenger explosion and everything like that. And I might get myself in trouble about this, but this is true. The absolute worst thing I've seen happen in my lifetime, and a yes, I'm including September 11th and I'm excluding everything, is a Sandy Hook shooting. Mm. You know, these are five and six-year-old children. Yeah. And... It goes to, there was, I cannot remember for the life of me the name of the place, but in the 90s there was a shooting in Scotland, similarly, with mm-hmm. school-aged children. And the, the tennis player, Andy Murray, was actually at that school at the yeah. time. He was of that age. And this is, you know what Britain did after that? They banned guns. They yeah. came out and said, okay, this is not happening, this is not happening, right. this is not happening. And they even didn't go far enough that the people in charge at the time were voted out of office because yeah. the public was so incensed. And the public kept that anger and something happened immediately. Same thing happened in Australia. And right, there was that's a huge right. shooting then. So we have something like this in our own place, in a middle, upper middle class neighborhood, and these children get killed. And immediately, this is where the whole thoughts and prayers happen. This yep. is where we can't talk about this issue right now. Right. That's what it is. When you get the NRA or you get people saying we can't politicize this issue right now, what happens is... I think, and I'm going to speak to the, look, the Republicans, they get their money from the NRA. Right. They don't want this, the NRA doesn't want any of this legislation. It doesn't matter how nice it is, because they feel like one step away from them will lead to many steps away. So it's almost always a non-starter if a Republican is getting money from them. From a Democratic side is, in a lot of ways, I don't, I go back to that whole dispassionate view that they see it as somebody else's problem. Mm-hmm. So people get mad about it, but you know what? The people that are mad, they lost a child, and they yeah. need to deal, or they lost a friend or a partner or whatever. They need to deal with that grief, that emptiness, and that rage. Having that rage and that fire tires you out. Yeah, that you need your politicians yeah. to take that take that baton and move forward. And unfortunately, I just don't think it happens because yeah. we can't we can't rely upon the victims. In order to get it right, right, I gotcha. We need we need intelligent people, smart people. When I was in Wisconsin, I remember I would tell people, if we're going to do press conferences, we all have to be wearing suits, and it nothing to do. But you know what? We shouldn't be smelling of patchouli or like mm-hmm. we just smoked a, a joint or something like that. And I know everybody's like that. You're you're stereotyping, yeah. but yeah, the the anti-violence, gun violence movement is filled with a lot of you know, flowery, hippie-type people, mm-hmm. we need to make it a real issue. I get, you know, the, here it is. This is the best way I can describe it. Marijuana became a thing when the business people took over. Yeah. 
know, that's when it's it. This is what has, has to happen, in my opinion, about the anti-gun violence movement, is the, the intellectual, I keep using this word, but I think it's the word, right word, dispassionate and professional people need to start yeah. taking it on. Yeah. That's my opinion. Yeah. Because I seem to remember at the day or two after the Dayton shooting, yeah. DeWine went there and the crowd was just chanting, do something yes. at him. Yeah. And... Nothing. Yeah. No. No. They they throw out a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, you know, Las Vegas. Oh, Bump we're gonna stocks. Yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> we're gonna like, do this. That's the dumbest we're, thing I've ever heard. Right. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. And I, I told you, like, I'm always. I go back to being about fairness, and now fairness means something different to me. Yeah. It's not gonna matter to any of these people, to any of them, yeah. until it affects them personally. Yeah. And I don't want anybody. To have to go through burying a child, yeah. I don't. I mean, that is. There's nothing more nightmarish I can imagine. But when it happens to them, then suddenly right. they feel a certain way. But until it does, and that's a, that's the issues with guns. Yeah. I mean, I could go on and on about how many guns sure, we have, sure, all this yeah, other yeah. stuff. But you know what? I don't have a single one. Right. I have a friend who maybe has ten. Yeah. It's it, the problem is it's not spread out enough that we know of it, mm-hmm. and I I don't like the fact. That I have a ten-year-old son that knows what an ad- active shooter drill is. Yeah, sure. I don't like the fact that the last time I was at his school for a music concert, I see this thing that said "Stop the Bleed," mm-hmm. and I point out to my wife and I say, "You know what that's for? That's for gunshot mm-hmm. wounds." This is it. I figured it out. I don't know if you saw the light bulb explode okay. on my head. Big moment. Come yeah. <laughs> I have a friend who's a doctor, who's yeah. a surgeon, and he's told me this many times. Have you ever seen a gunshot victim? If we saw those, people's minds would change. Yeah. Now, I wasn't alive during Vietnam, but from what I understand, when they saw the body bags, yeah. it's when the public changed. Sure. If you saw what a gun, and I've seen these pictures. Yeah. If you saw what a bullet does to a six-year-old, yeah. your attitude would change. Yeah. Okay, let's lay on Democratic causes, mm-hmm. uh, other than some high school dalliances with Republicans. Yeah. So what, what did you do when you got here? So the first thing, I worked for a while uh, with the Multiple Sclerosis Association, National Multiple Sclerosis Society, and it was, you know, like any nonprofit or anything like that, you have to do a lot of different things, And I, but I was more focused on, probably overtly focused on the government side of stuff. And again, something with MS, I'll use this as a great example. If you're suffering from MS, okay, you don't have, don't have time to call your congressman. Mm-hmm. You don't have time to you know, read legislation and figure out ways to go around it and stuff like that. And I was very interested in the concept of embryonic stem cell research. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are talking about technology, medicines, things that we could do. We're talking about science fiction type right. stuff now. That and it's just amazing and really interested in getting that stuff moved forward. But you have to deal again with the life issue. It affected my job in other yeah. ways. But I got really, really involved with that. And then after my time with with all that stuff, my wife and I, we, we built, uh, there's an old building in Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati. And Walnut Hills doesn't have a great reputation. Mm-hmm. It's got a reputation of being a little more run down and, and a lot of crime. Mm-hmm. So there was this concept of gentrification coming. And right. these new, these old buildings, beautiful, beautiful structure, that built in like the 1920s, had the oldest residential elevator in the whole city. And we had these beautiful vaulted ceilings, and we got that. So I got really involved in redevelopment mm-hmm. and trying to balance that fact for not displacing the people that live there, mm-hmm. 
but at the same time increasing the tax base. That mm-hmm. became a big thing to me. Yeah. Increase the tax base, it helps the schools. Right. Unfortunately, myself, along with a lot of other people there, we, we have kids, and then you realize in the end, mm-hmm. still, it's still an urban neighborhood, there's still crime. Yeah. The schools are not the best. You know, if you want to stay up all night and wait in line to try to get your kid into one of the good schools, yeah. you can do that. Yeah. And there's also not other kids to grow up around. So yeah. I was like, my wife and I both are like, you know what, maybe we need to live. I, the first lawn I ever mowed in my life, I was 40 years old. Yeah. I have lived in an urban environment my whole yeah. life. So it was kind of a change, but out here... I see a lot of the same things. I use a lot of the redevelopment ideas I had, and I go, well, gosh, where I live here in Loveland, we have the bike trail. Yeah. A lot of people call it the Loveland bike trail. It's not. It's a little Miami bike trail, yeah. but we're very insular. Sure. We want to do that. And we have the, the little Miami River. We have this really great natural surrounding, and then I drive down our main road, and I see nothing but car dealerships. Mm-hmm. So I got yeah, I, still my regular job. I help people run for office. Yeah. I consult on issues. I help write press releases. Yeah. I do all that other stuff. But I'm like, this is my community. I want to change it. So I got involved in um, one of our city council members who was running for office was trying to redevelop the area, make it better. Well, I learned in the city they don't like redevelopment, and out in the suburbs they don't. Yeah. And she got beat. Yeah. And it was kind of nasty. Yeah. And uh, that's basically what I've been doing. Then. So. Would you say, would you describe yourself as a freelance political consultant? Yes. And so how does it work? Do you, someone comes and say, I want to hire you to work on this campaign. And then you're like, okay, it's going to be this much for this. Is that how it works? Yeah. So I have, I do have an hourly rate and that's mostly if people want like lobbying or things like Mm -hmm. that. So uh, use as an example, they want to make, they want to give a tax break to whoever makes widgets. Yeah. I know how the system works. I know how the sausage is made. I know where to do it. So they hire me. I say it's going to take me ten hours, and mm-hmm. I go in and try to insert the legislation or get it where right. it is, and right. you know get the vote count all that stuff. That's a very very basic simple thing. Yeah. Or what I the last few years I've really tried to specialize in is people running for office for the first time. Yeah. I'm a big believer that your city council member and your school board has a lot more effect on you than anyone in Washington sure. D.C. I also know that. Okay, I'm gonna one tangent here really okay, quick. Right. So when Is that I about first clowns, no, no, <laughs> I could easily do that. Could tell you about the clown in my office crying about payment, and I'm like, chuckles, I can't pay you. No, no. <laughs> so I I wrote this thing, this presentation I yeah. gave that I was trying to help the Democrats in Ohio take back the House. This was in '06, '07, yeah. and I called it the Ohio problem. And what I said was, in Ohio. We get an influx of money and people every presidential election. Yes. We get tons of it comes yeah. in. And I can track it. And again, most of my work's in Missouri yeah. or I do work in Wisconsin, Illinois. I don't see the same phenomenon there. They have pretty steady funds throughout. Right. But Ohio, right. for a variety of reasons, is every presidential election we get all this money. And this is really particular for the Democratic Party. And then when the election's over, it all gets pulled out. So what happens is we never build a ground game. Mm -hmm. We never build anybody that can be a city council member, then a state rep, then a state senator, then Mm -hmm. secretary of state, then senator, whatever. We don't do that anymore. The Republicans do. The Republicans are really good at doing that. They're good at grooming these groups together, but we don't care. And when that's why I said the Ohio problem is, is that we don't build a ground game because we're only concerned about what we mean on the national scale. We don't care. We're not concerned enough with what we, what we mean locally. So I try to specialize in local campaigns. Mm-hmm. 
And here, especially where I live in Loveland, it tends, I mean, Cincinnati itself tends to be more conservative. So I'm dealing with a lot more Republicans. But you know what? Don't talk about abortion. Don't talk about guns. Don't talk about Mm -hmm. these national issues. Focus locally. And you find yourself in the end, I go back to my redevelopment ideas, build the tax base up. Mm -hmm. Makes your schools better. I want good schools. I want very good public schools. So in a way, you're getting what you want because... We're, we're bringing in more development, your yeah. business friends, but I'm getting what I want because I have good schools. So that's why I focus on that. And that's yeah. more if you were to come to me and say, you know, Ryan, I'm running for office. I will rarely run your campaign. Yeah. I'll advise I'll advise on uh, communications, but I'll say, okay, pay me this for the campaign. Yeah. And you'll work with both parties? Yeah. Do you vet who you choose to work yeah, with? Yeah. Like I, so I have a questionnaire that I give everybody out there. And it's, it's very personal. It's 25 questions, and it asks very personal questions. And I do it for two reasons. The first one is I want them to know that if they don't tell me, if there's something on there that they don't tell me and it yeah. gets found out, yeah. they're done. Yeah. If you, look, if you're going to tell me, yeah, I had a drug problem when I was 19, okay, I can deal with that. Mm-hmm. We can find a way. I have time to figure that out. But I also do it in case if I read this and I see as I go, there's no way I'll work with this person. Mm-hmm. I mean, 90% of people that are in public office, they want to do good. Yeah. You might not agree with what they're doing, but they want to do good. Yeah. I, I call it the pothole problem. Some people drive over the pothole and call them and say, do something about this. Yeah. Other people say, I'm going to do something about it. Yeah. A lot of people, they want to do something about it, and they're good people. You might not agree with them politically, yeah. but they're good people. And I just try to find a way, all right, let me help you achieve your goal that I, in a way that I think will benefit us all. Yeah. So one of our first interviews was with Dr. Suzanne Morelli from Capitol, mm-hmm. and she told me in that interview that the Republican Party's advantage on ground game in Ohio goes back to the Civil War, at least. That wouldn't shock me. Yeah. That would not, it's, it's your checkbook. You know, A lot of people, they think... And I'll say this for Loveland, they're all Republicans. I mean, there is actually one Democrat on there. And I was trying to help the a different Republican beat another Republican. Right. So I'd bring up the point, this guy was a Democrat. Right. But, right. but it, for the most part, they look at it and you, I think Republicans, because they look at stuff very kind of binary, they look at things very fair, that it's easy to understand at the local level. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say, you know what? we need to fix your streets. And somebody comes to your door and they say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. The Democrats, and gosh, I hate to get myself in trouble with this, but I feel like in Hamilton County, where I live, this happens all the time. I mean, Hamilton County has a city of Cincinnati in it, mm-hmm. yet there's they go after each other. You have a guy like John Cranley, who's a mayor of Cincinnati, mm-hmm. who's a very blue-collar, supports the police and unions, kind of very classic what we think of a John Kennedy Democrat. Yeah. You know, I grew up in Missouri where Dick Gephardt was the guy. And anybody that called Dick Gephardt a, uh, a liberal, I would laugh at him. I'm yeah. like, I have a roof over my head because Dick Gephardt makes damn sure <laughs> that the F-18 fighter jet is built in St. Yeah. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> that's why. I mean, so that's what John Cranley is. And that kind of Democrat, I think, works for the, the people around here, including, I mean, look, we have GE, Procter & Gamble, right. big-time engineers. Mm-hmm. Those tend to be, my wife's uh, an engineer, you know. And she's not, you know, conservative. I don't want to paint her in this, but that tends to be a conservative field. So they they're able to communicate that more. Whereas the Democrats, I have a lot, so many Democrats that I've run into around here when you're running for local office, they'll talk about, well, 
we should build solar arrays or we should mm-hmm. build do this for clean water or we should do this yeah. and if you're just talking at my door yeah that sounds like a good idea but what's that going to cost me in taxes yeah and it, it unfortunately i start to question their motive where the republicans just like yeah look i'm going to do I'm this gonna we're going to gonna be the, yeah. yeah so they they've been very good about that yeah. and you go to these Republican club meetings, which I've been to a few of them and all, and they're, man, they're laser focused. They yeah. know everything. You go to a Democratic club meeting, and you'll have people saying, well, you don't, you're not far enough left, so yeah. I don't like you, and you're yeah. not this, and you're not that. And it, that's why I think, and I think yeah. Ohio's, I don't want to say unique, but it's near unique in just that divide. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk about, first of all, just from your perspective, going into this election as an Ohioan, a new Ohioan, <laughs> what what concerns you? And then we'll talk about it maybe from a, a larger yeah. political... I'm finding myself getting tired. And I love politics. It is... I, I said earlier about how you know white men have had the reins for 6,000 years and mm-hmm. look what we've done with it. Maybe it's time to look at something different. I am incapable of understanding what it's like to be a minority. My, my wife is a child of immigrants from India. Her parents came from India when they were adults for a better opportunity. Her dad came to get his PhD. Went from India to Indiana University, so I don't know if that yeah. confused anyone. But, <laughs> and then brings his, his new wife along with them. And they have two kids born here in the States. And they, they know what it's like to work. To struggle to go into a room and everybody look at you you know when the indiana jones movie the temple of doom mm-hmm. i mean my wife as a child in school had everybody asked her if she ate monkey brains mm-hmm. just because she looked the same color they understand that i will never understand that i'm always an observer of these things mm-hmm. and i want to try to do what's best for her and i want to try to do what's best for my son and i want to try to do what's best i mean for everyone our society gets better so when i say i'm tired I just feel like we're going backwards, and I'm not. I'm an equal opportunity person on this. I, hey, I, I've, I didn't like everybody that tells me I have Trump derangement mm-hmm. derangement syndrome. I didn't like the guy when he was on The Apprentice. And mm-hmm. I didn't like the guy in the '90s, yeah. and I didn't like the guy in the '80s. He's failed upwards. He's a, that's what he's done yeah. always. So yes, I don't like him, but I also don't like where he's taking the country. But on the other side, I feel like Obama. Barack Obama was a great missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. There are things that I think needed to be done. And giving our money to health insurance companies and forcing them to give insurance to people, that wasn't what needed to be done. Yeah. It's Again, I go back to Sandy Hook. Saying a lot of things and saying we're going to do something and nothing happens. Yeah. The fact is, Chuck Schumer represents Wall Street and Nancy Pelosi represents Silicon Valley. Yeah. They may be Democrats, and I may align more with what they're doing, but I still don't feel like enough is being done. Yeah. And from, from my personal viewpoint, as a political consultant, as an analyst, as a thing like that, I think whoever the Democratic nominee is, is going to win. And I say that, and I know that's not very popular, yeah. but I say that because what Donald Trump did in 2016 was thread a needle in a hurricane. Everything went exactly right. Everything fell the exact same way. And and I, I do I do have a lot of issues with Hillary Clinton's campaign. Sure. I do believe Hillary Clinton is the most qualified human being we have ever had to run for president of the United States. Yeah. 
but I do have issues with their campaign. I thought it was a bit aloof, a bit above board, a bit, a bit you know, you guys will do this because it's the right thing. Mm-hmm. There was no, no real excitement in yeah. there, which it should have been. Sure. It would have been our first female president. It should have been exciting. But, but it didn't happen. I believe Trump got lucky. I believe he's not going to get more than 46% of the vote again. And I, I'm, just, I'm just tired. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we've heard this actually a lot from people on both yeah. sides, right? They're yeah. either they're frustrated with it. How, how, is, how is the impeachment that's going on? How are you thinking about that? I think he should be impeached. I think he should be thrown from office. He broke the law. I, and as a political analyst, yeah. what's the strategy there? They need to keep it in the know. They need to keep people questioning and talking about it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the, the behavior is... I, every time I hear people talk about the Senate, it's the greatest deliberative body. <laughs> I, I laugh like you wouldn't believe. It's, it's such a freaking joke. I mean, these people are... We are so lucky, especially where I live in Ohio, that we get Rob Portman, who... I mean... My favorite thing about Rob Portman is he's my favorite person to follow on Twitter. Because mm-hmm. whatever he writes, he gets ratioed like you wouldn't believe. People mm-hmm. just come on and tear him to shreds mm-hmm. because he's so spineless. <laughs> and it's, it's so, but then on the other side, and yes, we get Sherrod Brown, mm-hmm. who, thank goodness, <laughs> in some ways. But, but then I'm also close enough that I get to hear from Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell all sure. the time. And <sighs> they can say it's a sham. They can say this. I'm going to go back to Second Amendment here. All these same people that like to tell me what a bunch of rich white dudes told us all in the 1780s was right, they're obviously not reading the Constitution now. Donald Trump, he, he broke his oath of office. I would say probably 397 times. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these two times, let's focus on that. And I keep hearing, well, Obama did it. Well, then fine, they should have impeached Obama. Mm-hmm. I am one of those people that believe Bill Clinton should have been impeached. Mm-hmm. He broke the law. Here, here's coming from somebody who progresses, who says they're a progressive, a Democrat, right. something like that. I believe in the rule of law. That's what right. it says. Right. So, but from a strategy standpoint, you, you're talking Ohio, you're talking Florida, you're talking Pennsylvania. Yeah. These are the states you need to talk to. Yeah. Do I think it will work in those states? I, I think it will. Yeah. So Ohio... Went for Trump by eight points, mm-hmm. right? And so there are a lot of people saying, maybe not a swing state anymore. I don't believe that, and I think anybody that's going to, anybody that's going, any Democrat that's going to give up on Ohio is going to be giving up on the presidency. Yeah. We have something I like to tell people. I have these graphs I show them. Right. And you look at 1985 and you look at uh, 2015, and you take so the cost of a car is actually lower than it was in 85. The cost of a hamburger is lower. The cost of a home or rent is a lot higher. There's this thing called the toil index, and it's supposed to be the number of hours you need to work to afford the average rent. Mm -hmm. Well, in 1985, this is in one month. In 1985, it was like 10 hours. Now it's like 100 hours. Mm -hmm. So housing's gone way up. Education has gone, is is astronomically high. And then the last one was health care. So those three main things from 1985 to 2015 have gone up immensely. But our wages have all been flat. 
in that same time period. I mean, it goes up a little bit. And we hear every day, the stock market's doing yeah. great, yeah. Da, 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 all this other stuff. But we don't, we don't feel that. And I, I know there's a lot of anxiety, especially in Ohio, a lot of economic anxiety that, you know, you're right. Trump did win by eight points, and the Democrats swept all the offices in the 2018 election. But the highest vote getter in all of Ohio was Sherrod Brown. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it's worth it. So what's, your, what's the strategy for a Democrat to win Ohio, in a nutshell? Exactly what I said about that, yeah. the toil index. The fact that I, I live in a, a nice house in a nice neighborhood, and you know my house is nicer than the ones on behind me, but it's not as nice as the ones around me. I am in a great middle-class house. Why does my wife and I, why do we fear retirement? Mm-hmm. I mean, my parents just retired. Her parents have been retired for a while, and they're having the time of their life. I am frightened of it. You need, to, you need to tap into that with people. I'm going to say something good about Donald Trump. Okay. <laughs> the system will allow it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had hopes that Donald Trump would break the system because mm-hmm. I believe it needs to be broken. I believe, I believe people like me have more power in government than should. I believe we should publicly finance our elections. I believe we need to get the money out of it. And yes, I know... Damn well. You do that, I'm out of a job. Yeah. Well, I won't. I'll still podcast. <laughs> you see, I'll find a new job. But what's going on with education, what's going on with health care, there's no reason that I should go to the doctor tomorrow and be diagnosed with cancer and know that I am now putting my wife and child into poverty. Mm-hmm. And I have health insurance. So I was hoping Donald Trump would go in there with all his bravado and his ego and everything like that and just say, you are going to build statues of me to the end of time. Theodore Roosevelt did not have to do what he did to create a modern American society. Mm -hmm. And he did it. I thought maybe he could have done that, and I was wrong. And I think a Democrat needs to walk around, and they need to just, I mean, no more parsing this, no more more giving the house away like Obama did. No more saying, okay, you're going to get free health care, but we're going to make sure that the health insurance companies stay alive. No. My kid deserves an education. Yeah. My kid deserves health care. My kid deserves a prosperous lifestyle. And we need, we need to do that. And that's where I think you get them. That's yeah. where you start. As I've been watching the Democratic debates, I, I've heard both Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders say, Democrats should not be afraid of big ideas. Mm-hmm. But I've also lived in Ohio my whole life, and I can see how so many people that I know would look at that and think, they're just selling snake oil. We've been burned too many times. It's so I go back to Trump's forty six percent. Yeah. The largest voting group is the millennials. Mm-hmm. Uh, being part of Generation X, which you're in the same boat. Yeah. We're you know, we're insignificant. <laughs> we may never get a president. No, right? We're you're gonna right. go right you're, from a boomer to a millennial. Yeah, you are right. That's uh so but the millennials and they, my, I have to give my wife credit for this, but the, the term she's always said is the baby boomers pulled the ladder up and the Gen Xers grabbed the bottom rail while we left all the millennials there to yeah. tread water. Yeah. And we keep hearing how they're disconnected and they're this and they're that. You know what? If I was a millennial, I would be pissed off. I have 50 or I have $50,000 in debt for college and everything like that. I'm lucky yeah. compared to those behind me. 
So, yeah, they should be pissed, and they should want to, to break everything possible. But you know what? What do we have to look back on? I mean, President Bill Clinton, yeah, we got family and medical leave, but we also got welfare to work and mm-hmm. three strikes and the telecommunications bill. And, I mean, this, this whole these Democrats that want to cozy up to Wall Street and Silicon Valley, and I get why they do it. They're trying to keep power. They're trying to keep in there. But we are, we are on an unsustainable path. Mm-hmm. This just cannot work. You cannot have you cannot have people like my own family that are in the top twenty twenty five percent of earners or whatever in this country yeah. feeling like they're treading water. Yeah. So I see what they're saying when they're snake oil. I'm afraid Bernie Sanders, maybe the liberal, the bizarro liberal version of Donald Trump. Sure. One of my biggest issues with Donald Trump is the fact that he had the worst people in his cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a feeling the same way might happen. I'm hey, I'm. If you ask me, Ryan, you have a magic wand. You can do whatever the heck you yeah. want. Free education, free housing, free uh, health care. I know that costs money. I'm yeah. not a stupid person. Yeah. So we need some pragmatic approaches. But gosh, let people dream, and if those millennials. If they're going to get behind, if Elizabeth Warren says, I'm canceling your debt, if Bernie Sanders says you're going to have free health care, everybody in this country needs to get ready for someone like that to be elected. Yeah. Because I think it's coming. You're reading a lot of think pieces now on how women control this election. Yes. Right. And I said to Marianne, who's very big on women's issues, how do you, or is there in Ohio a magic calculus where and this is what I think the, the Clinton campaign did. And, it, and I don't have your education or experience, no, no, right? Okay. I'm just a guy. Moses Lawn. Um, <laughs> thought that there would be these white, educated suburban voters, maybe they typically lean conservative, that would come over and didn't. Right? And I live in Delaware yeah. County, fastest growing county in the country. And it seems to me like that's going to be the Democrats' strategy again. Yes. And I think a lot of those people went into the voting booth and held their nose and voted for Trump. Yes, Hillary Clinton was a problematic candidate. And it's it always especially when it comes to the presidential election. Yeah. You know, famously, you want to have a beer with them. Yeah. Can I have a beer with this guy, yeah. unfortunately? And it was a um Barack Obama's two thousand and eight election was was a black swan affair, something we talk about sometimes in policy or politics is a black swan affair. You know, something that you can't predict that happens, but you cannot predict everything's going to happen the same way afterwards. Right. The, the Bush administration, everything like that, the moment George W. Bush took his head, put his head on the window to go look at the damage to Hurricane mm-hmm. Katrina, that was done. Yeah. And then the housing market collapses, mm-hmm. and then Sarah Palin gets introduced as the running mate. And so I do a lot of re- demographic research, obviously. And I know for podcasts, the largest podcast audience is educated women. Mm-hmm. I also know politically, the largest gap in voting is educated women vote so high on the Democratic side than compared to the Republican side. So I actually told this to Marianne one yeah. time. You, if you want to bring these women closer to Republican votes, that's what your show can do. Yeah. You can talk because you're talking to the educated women. So you're absolutely right. Women are going to be the key to this. When I was talking about Obama's election, he, you were talking about any Democrat was going to win. Any mm-hmm. Democrat. So it did not matter right. anything out there. And he found his space. He found the way to go about it. 
the issue is there was people like me that were a little disenchanted, people like my wife, but look, in the end, we're probably going to still end up voting Democrat no matter what, Mm -hmm. but you weren't talking to us anyways. Look, you don't have to kiss my ass, okay? Right. You don't have to say, Ryan, this is what I'm going to do. I'm probably going to vote for a Democrat, okay? I just am. You know, we're all ingrained that way. But those people, and a lot of them are women, how do you move them over? The Democrat needs to inspire. The Democrat needs to feel like, I mean, Bill Clinton was the boy from hope. Mm-hmm. You know, Barack Obama, just the, the earth-shaking, you know, what was going to happen when he was elected. John Kennedy. There, we were celebrating, the, or last year we were celebrating the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. And CNN did this fabulous documentary about the Apollo 11 mission. And it ends with John Kennedy giving that famous speech mm-hmm. about how we're going to go there and bring them back and do that. But they do the whole speech. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I can see why people love that man so much. Yeah. Hillary Clinton did not lean into that inspiration part yeah. of it. And so... Who, who can of the yeah. current field, in your opinion? <sighs> I, I told you... It, I believe there's a place for these more fiscally, we used to call them third-way Democrats, but these fiscally conservative, sure. socially liberal Democrats. Yep. And you know what I believe? I, I believe Bill Clinton hurt the Democratic Party for a generation because yeah. we all had to defend him in the you know, yeah. sex scandals and stuff. I do believe Donald Trump will hurt the Republican Party for a generation. I do believe that, and I think yeah. that might be good because maybe those fiscal, socially liberal people will be the new Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they'll be the new Democrats. So I think what it really comes down to, I, if you ask me, I think it's going to be Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And I think if it's going to be Joe Biden, I, I, don't, I don't care scandal. I think he's so going to win boring. in the wall. <laughs> yeah, he's safe. And I said earlier how I'm tired. I think a lot of people just want safe. Me, I'm a Michael Bloomberg kind of guy. Yeah. Because I want to see a real New York billionaire sitting up there with Donald Trump and just smirking at him. Yeah. I want to see, because you know what? Maybe it is time... They might, I might not agree with them 100%, but maybe it's time to put a, a Bloomberg yeah. or a Bill Gates or these, these titans of business that tend to have... Maybe that's what we need. And I, I hate that. I hate that so mm-hmm. much. We should have an opportunity to be president, you and I, any of us, but we can't because we don't have the money. But that inspires me because I think Michael Bloomberg would get in there and would not care about his legacy. Mm-hmm. He's like, look, I'm just going to fix it. Yeah, And that's, to me, I'm giving you the most every answer, non-answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell, I'll tell you, I, I had lunch this week with a millennial who does research for me on this project mm-hmm. and uh, helps brief me on things. And I s- asked him, first of all, I said, what, why aren't millennials excited about Buttigieg? And he said... Basically what you said, basically we are a generation that picks up on inauthenticity mm-hmm. and that he, he was a McKinsey guy yes. and yeah. you know everything seems very calculated with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not inspired by him. No. You know? uh, and then he also said, and I think you'll appreciate this, if the nominee is Joe Biden, the country gets the debates that they deserve. Which is Joe Biden and Donald Trump shouting random things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get off my lawn. No, you get off my lawn. Yeah. Record players. And, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So your 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 prediction is that Trump will lose. I do believe that. Do you think he'll win Ohio? I think he'll lose Pennsylvania. Okay. 
And that's where I think it happens. And they'll spend more money there, do you think, both parties? Yeah, yeah. Ohio, I think Joe Biden has the best chance in Ohio. Mm-hmm. I do. I really do believe that. I, again, there's a sense of safety. And Joe Biden, here, I, I would like for some of these Republicans to challenge Trump. Sure. Because in 2012, I was not going to be disappointed if Mitt Romney won the presidency. Right. No, I might not agree with him on this stuff, but yeah. I thought, I thought he was a man that would weigh his options, see mm-hmm. what was best for the country, make good decisions. Yes. So I'm not. This isn't this whole like, oh, I'm just tired of the Republicans. Look, I get it. I yeah. get that the Democratic Party is not doing us any favors either. Yeah. yeah. I get it. I, somebody has to do it, yeah. and it would be nice to see that there. But we don't have that choice. Yeah. You know. It's yeah. going to be Donald Trump. It's going to be him yelling. It's going to be him trying to pick on a 14-year-old girl. It's, mm-hmm. it's just so tiring. Yeah. And look, you're a Republican who believes in the sanctity of marriage. You're a Republican that believes in the rule of law. You're a Republican that has to support the troops. Right. Well, you get behind this guy that does none of that. Yeah. So that's why I think in the end it will. And I think Ohio itself, given the right person, it's it may be 2020, but... We still have to deal with racism. We still have to deal with misogyny. We still have to deal with that stuff. And that's in the end why I think it's yeah. going to be Joe Biden. Yeah. Okay. I have uh, one more question, which I yeah. ask at the end, and then I give Kevin a chance to ask questions. Mm-hmm. What do people outside of Ohio need to understand about Ohio? So you know what The Onion is? Yeah. The satirical newspaper they have. I have the book over there, as a matter of fact. It, our dumb world it's an atlas and it says when you look under ohio it says the most american of american states and the whole description is you know people from ohio right now are doing their doing a parade or a bake sale to celebrate about being from ohio mm-hmm. and we talk about tribalism in my in my job a lot and i said i've never been to a city that was more insular than boston mm-hmm. till i came to ohio yeah ohio be it Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland, Toledo, whatever, everybody has their identity. Yeah. I could live here, I could live another hundred years and live here in Ohio, and I'll never be from Ohio. Yeah. It's, I'll always be a visitor. I, we were a, a little dicey about bringing you in. No, I get it, I get it. <laughs> but that's important, though, because of a, of a singular kind of pride. Everybody likes their high school or their college or things yeah. like that. I have never seen a state that is proud of what the state is. I'm proud of being the state, being who they are in the state. And it's, you know, where I grew up in St. Louis was a town called Baldwin. That's like 30 miles from the city of St. Mm-hmm. Louis. I say I grew up in St. Louis. Right. My son's going to say he grew up in Loveland, not Cincinnati. Right. <laughs> I mean, we all we are all about where we're from. Yeah. It's very important. It's why my redevelopment efforts have been difficult. So people right. need to know that if you're coming to Ohio, don't tell us what's going on in California. Don't tell us what's going on in North Dakota, South yeah. Dakota. You talk to us about what's going on here, yeah. what it means to us. Because in the end, the other 49 states could all go away. Yeah. We're going to still be flying our only flag that looks like that. Yeah. The only flag that That's isn't right. a regular state. This is, I mean, this, this is Ohio. This is yeah. who we are. And if you're not going to speak to us, and I do not believe Hillary Clinton spoke to us, we will not listen to you. Hmm. And I don't care what the stakes are. That's what I'd say. Do you have a sense of why Ohio's that way? I've been trying to crack that nut for like 14 years. It's, 
there's just this weird pride. And, and again, I could go to Cleveland, I could go to Toledo, any of these places, and they're all so different, but it's, this, uh, it's almost like being part of a fraternity. It's a thing that binds you. No, Ohio's had the most presidents of it. Well, actually, no, that's not true anymore. I think New York now has. But Ohio's had a ton of presidents, but we've never had a significant president. Mm-hmm. There's another joke, I think, it came from The Onion. The people that walked on the moon are all from Ohio because they're trying to get as far away from Ohio as possible. <laughs> These are the jokes we have about it. But, I mean, the Reds is the first baseball team. Yeah. You know? Cleveland... I used to think Cleveland had the worst, like, if you were a Cleveland fan in sports, you had it worse. Yeah. I now believe it's Cincinnati. Sure. But again, it's an Ohio thing. And, and But on the other side of it, Ohio State football. I mean, yeah. my God, for generations has been these things that people see us nationally are very much our own. But where, um, you know what it is? You go, you look at some of these other states, and they have a, maybe an agricultural background, or California is known for Hollywood or things like that. You think about America, you think about a coal miner, you think about a farmer, you think about an educated business person, you think about a teacher. Ohio's got great universities and colleges, got great businesses, it's got great agriculture. It is truly the most American state. And I I have not, I, most of my work's always been in the Midwest, a little bit on the East Coast, I've never seen anything like it. Good talking to you, Ryan. It's been over a year since we did our first interview, and it's been, uh, I would argue, a bit of an unusual year. Uh, yeah, yeah. I keep telling my son, this is the uh, year living history. It's the most yeah. extraordinary year ever. Yeah, so let's talk about this. First of all, just catch up with how you and your family are doing, making sure you're okay, and then talk about um, the pandemic and how it's sort of impacted this election that's coming up. Yeah, we're... We're kind of lucky. By right when this all started in early March, my wife was laid off from her job of 20 years, and Mm. she's she's a breadwinner here, but thankfully she was able to find another job, a better job actually, very, very quickly. And it, but her entire world changed. I mean, you do the, she moved to Cincinnati because of her job. And now after all this time and She's, I mean, her new office, she's been in a handful of times. So it's not just switching to a new company, but switching to a whole new way of life. She has an office here at home. Yeah. I'm used to it. I'm working out of the house all the time. And then my son, the exact same day, as a matter of fact, was the last day he ever spent in school. Yeah. He's, uh, he's been doing online and doing fine, but he's an only child. So it's, uh, it's not the easiest thing for him. I can definitely see that. But I, by the nature of what I do for a living, I, I see a lot of struggles that other families are having. Sure. And honestly, I feel lucky. I feel yeah. like we've been able to weather this fairly well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would say that, like, you know, we talked in our first talk about, I don't know, 20 different issues we thought <laughs> yeah. were yeah. important in the campaign. And it feels to me like... Uh, if there's more than one, there's not many more than one, but that this is the one. So just what's your take? Uh, give me your take as a, as a political consultant, but then also as a, as a voter. Well, look, this is, um, 
I was trying to even remember who I said, who I thought was going to win when we last talked, and everything kind of changed because, I mean, not just because of the pandemic, but when everything was really, really ramping up and the Democrats all kind of rallied around Joe Biden. I know Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were still there. Right. But I, I remember when that time period was happening because it happened very, very quickly. Yeah. And thinking to myself, okay, this is the right move for them to make because when um, this was would have been late February, I was on some calls with some people in other states trying to plan a communication strategy for what they were going to tell people about the pandemic. And this is when we just had a handful of cases. And right. I'll never forget there was a um, epidemiologist on these calls and every day he'd get more and more frustrated because he would say, guys, if we don't take this seriously, we're going to be lucky if only 200,000 people die. And I remember sitting back thinking about that going, wow, 200,000. Yeah. That's just an, it's an, it's a number I just could not believe. And now here we are. And I sit back and I think, and I, I tell I tell everybody this. I tell friends, I tell clients, I tell everyone. This is the greatest uh, crisis our country has faced easily in my lifetime, probably within two lifetimes. And if um, if you think President Trump did a good job on this, the country's not with you. And uh-huh. it's uh, and that's what it comes down to. This isn't about really, oh, well, I like Trump or I like Biden or I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican. This is a problem that must be solved by everyone. And honestly, I do not think that's happening right now. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so here's, uh, I did write down what we talked about last time. <laughs> you, were, you were fairly confident that they were going to go with Biden. And then I followed up and said, well, how does that play out in Ohio? And you said, uh, in, in actually a nice pivot, you think, <laughs> Trump would lose Pennsylvania, but that Ohio would be too close. You couldn't make a, a call. And mm-hmm. right now, those numbers, uh, the poll numbers suggest that that may, in fact, happen. Yeah, I, so I'm impressed, I guess, I <laughs> pat myself on the back that I actually thought they would go around Biden, because if you'd asked me that question maybe a week earlier, I would have probably said Amy Klobuchar or yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth Warren or something. I, I felt, I've, I've always felt that the Democrats were not going to move to the farthest left of the party. I always felt in this election they were going to come more center. Yeah. And that, because of that, because they needed to win states like Pennsylvania and they need to win states like Michigan and Wisconsin and Ohio. Because if you're a Democrat, you're already coming into this race with a sizable electoral lead. Yeah. And you only need to pick up two or three states and you're going to win. Yeah. If you're the president, if you're Trump, you have to pick up every single state you picked up last time. And I on a little bit of a tangent, I would have never guessed that Arizona, Georgia, and Texas would be in play. If you would have asked me that, I would have said, you know, they're trending that way, but not for 2020. Yeah. So when it comes to Ohio, I I know I said last time we talked, I think a lot of people were tired. Yes. The, The Trump presidency was really, really tiring. And then you throw the pandemic and not just the pandemic, you throw the, the, um, the stuff going on with Black Lives Matter and right. people. I mean, the gift the pandemic has given us all is time. We all have time to sit and reflect and think about things. Yeah. And I think that's where where a lot of the anger and angst is coming up because Trump did not win the popular vote right. in 2016. As a matter of fact, he got beat. A lot of people say Hillary Clinton beat him by 3 million. Yep. Over 6 million people who voted for president did not vote for him. 
Yeah. And that's, he is not, he was not popular in 2016. He's not popular now. He's doing nothing to make himself popular. So in Ohio, it's a very, people are finding their partisan grounds. I think to my Republican friends that I talked to in Ohio, they think if, if, Joe Biden gets elected and the Democrats take over the Senate, that this country will fall into mass socialist chaos or something. It's right. a very, very dark view. They have a, right. But honestly, I heard that in the 90s with Bill Clinton. Yeah. I heard that with Barack Obama. They, yeah. they always go to this. It's almost like they don't believe the idea of America. They only believe in the idea of Republican America. Yeah. And Ohio has a lot of that. The state I moved away from to come here, Missouri, when I left Missouri, it was a bellwether state. Yeah. Now it's as red as possible. Right. And it's because Missouri was losing population and the population was getting older. I think right. the same thing's happening in Ohio right now where we're shrinking. We're going to probably lose another, uh, another Congress member in the next census. And the, the, we're getting older, so we tend to trend red. <clears throat> excuse me. So we tend to tread, trend a little bit more red. And in the end, that... I mean, here's, here's my, you know, $10,000 idea. The older and the smaller you get, you tend to become Republican. That's mm -hmm. not a good electoral, that's not a good electoral strategy. And I think Ohio, we're not quite there yet. Would, if you ask me right now, do I think Joe Biden's going to win the state? I would say if I flip the coin 10 times, six times, it's going to come up Trump four times Biden. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think you said when we talked about the 2016 election, your your comment was a, a bunch of things had to happen exactly right for him to win that election, and that if right. any one of these things had had not happened, right, mm -hmm. you you had sort of thought it was almost like you know a case of lightning in a bottle that just so many of these things happened to go his way to win that election. Right. Yeah, I I still feel that way. Yeah. I. I go back to my Republican friends um, and clients. They all keep telling me that they all like, well, Trump's going to win. If it wasn't for the pandemic, he, he would he would have won easily. And I'm like, I don't think that's true. Because let's say the Democrats had had chosen somebody like a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. Well, that, that puts states like Ohio out of play. Trump should sure. win Ohio. But in the end, I still don't see how he, could, how he could replicate his victory in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Yeah. Especially you look at Wisconsin and Michigan, their state-wise are trending more and more towards Democrats. Yeah. By choosing Joe Biden, don't think there's any way President Trump can replicate what happened in 2016. And part of it is honestly some inherent sexism in the Democratic Party. A lot of people didn't like Hillary Clinton for... Right unknown reasons mm -hmm. I mean, people like me will will think what we will or what those reasons are joe biden's a known commodity he's a, a white male uh working class it, it's just it, it's all these very traditional things that are going to bring a lot of the union democrats back in so i i don't think the pandemic is what will eventually lead to president trump's defeat if it happens i yeah. just think it's a uh, it adds to the fact that i don't think he could win this election talk i think last time we talked you said hillary clinton didn't speak to ohio like right i think you were talking both tonally and also her campaign didn't put a lot of assets into the state do you think that that's what biden is bringing back that the people in ohio feel like he can talk to them yeah, absolutely. It's we're recording this the day after the debate, the final right. debate, and something that Joe Biden's always been good at. It's it's why Barack Obama chose him as vice president. Is 
Obama had this very uh, academic, almost mm-hmm. elitist kind of viewpoint towards a lot of people. Yeah. And when he and Hillary were going at each other, it was it was like two big Ivy League colleges talking to each other. You bring Joe Biden in to be that bridge to the the middle class because yeah. that's what his whole career has been about and what he's been talking about. But I think with Joe Biden, you look at Lordstown yeah. and what happened in the last four years there. I think he helps you carry that. Or you look at the Rust Belt area up in Cleveland or even down here in Cincinnati yeah, where I live in Hamilton County. You can see you can see a lot more middle class enthusiasm and people not uh, making excuses for voting for, like I heard four years ago, people making excuses to vote for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. I do want to say one more thing is, look, if on November 3rd, Donald Trump wins the presidency, or yeah. weeks later he wins the presidency, and I tell this to every single person I work with, the day after the election is always Wednesday. Yeah. It's another day. We move forward. We figure it out. We create a new plan. Because in the end, we have... 200 plus years of history. And we've had a lot of junky presidents and terrible Supreme Courts and terrible Congresses, yet we're still here. Yeah. And we're still here because no matter how far we may think things have fallen, we always come back. And it's a, it's a tough time now. And we're, but in the end, this is going to be a page, but actually 2020 is probably going to be a whole chapter in yeah. a history book. Yeah, that we're going to learn from what we did wrong, what we did right. And in the end, I do think America will continue to prevail. Nice, nice sentiment to end on. So, well, thank you for your time today and also last fall. Once again, I want to thank Ryan for his time. One of Ryan's projects is putting together a lot of local news slash politics podcasts, including one called Eye on Loveland. He also produces Marianne Christie's podcast. Marianne was a guest on the show a few episodes back. And there's one thing that he shared with me as we were wrapping up on our call last week. He encouraged me to really think about what happens after the election and really lean into the next year politically in Ohio at at all levels, at the local level, county, state levels. You know, we tend to get focused on the presidential election and what's going to happen, but he anticipates some changes around Ohio at all levels of government, and he's fascinated to see how it turns out. And if the Democrats do gain more power, how they're going to serve this sort of broad coalition that they're trying to bring together. So I told him I would definitely stay engaged, but I hope you all do too. To check out Ryan's podcast, go to ionloveland.com or go to ioncommunity.com to see the whole suite of podcasts that Ryan produces. Okay, just a week to go until the election. So everybody, please be sure you've got a plan to get out and vote. We also have a few more interviews coming out this week, so stay tuned. Once again, on behalf of the all-volunteer crew of This Is Ohio 2020 and Pete Brown saying, good times, everybody. Good times. This Is Ohio 2020 is a podcast and documentary film project produced by Blue Monkey Communications, written and directed by me, Pete Brown, with production and post-production ably handled by Kevin Davison of Twittering Machine Productions. Want to be on the show and share your stories and political insights? Then head to thisisohio2020.com and click apply. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend or two about us, post about us on social media, or head to thisisohio2020.com and click feedback, where you can record a voicemail that comes right to us. 
Music and sound effects in today's show may come from the websites freesound.org, incompetech.com, or podcastmusic.com, and in general is licensed under Creative Commons 3.0. Additional music and interstitials by Brian Hake and Kevin Davison. Until next time, I'm Pete Brown for This Is Ohio 2020, wishing you and yours good times. Thank you.